Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And today we have another married couple on our conversation today about as we continue the Enneagram and Relationship series. So Brock and Kelsey are with us and the Morgans are a dynamic duo who are both Enneagram sevens. Brock is an author, speaker, and youth pastor, and Kelsey is an author and kids ministry pastor. So we are continuing um, our conversation. Last week, we had on another couple who did ministry together. They were a three and an eight, uh, quite a spicy duo, but I imagine two sevens living together make for some uh, very interesting dynamics as well. So welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. We are so glad to have you. Please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourselves. Pretty, you want to go first? Uh, okay, I'll go first. Um, yeah, so I'm Kelsey, and um, yeah, I, I don't. I started out as a teacher, so um, I've always had a heart for kids. Um, I specifically was secondary ed, so middle school and high school kids um, specifically, and um, just met Brock uh, in college, and he was going to be a youth pastor at that point. So um, it kind of getting married in, in the sense, uh, coming together as partners, uh, we both have the same heart. We had a shared heart and a shared love. It's more recently that I have become um, a kids ministry pastor at our church. And um, yes, as an Enneagram seven, it's all about fun. We have <laughs> such a good, and I come home, I'm like, I had so much fun. Um, and in every aspect of what I do, um, it's, if they're, if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. So, um, I enjoy that a ton. Brock and I have been married, um, for 27 years. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Am I going to get it right? (laughs) Well, Kelsey's not the best with numbers. Underestimating (laughs) and overestimating, um, numbers. So, um, and we have a daughter, an adult daughter, she's 25. Um, who also lives with us and is also a wonderful Enneagram seven. So fun. It's insane around here, basically. <laughs> it's a party. <laughs> and our dog is a, uh, a seven. So we've had yeah. him tested. <laughs> um, well, do yeah. you, uh, did you have, I'll shut up. You no. you to ask a follow-up question. Go ahead. I don't. I was actually going to explain how we met you, Brock, and explain why we knew you were a seven before you ever disclosed that information. And then I'll let you talk about yourself. I'm excited to hear this. We have told this story secondhand to so many people. Um, So we met you at the end of June. We were at a youth conference in Colorado and you were the speaker for the week and you told the most amazing stories. And there was one night you told a story that involved like a sailboat and a manatee and, and you almost <laughs> died. And, and Deidre and I were literally sitting in the back of this room going, did he, did he make it? Like, it was such an amazing story that we didn't know how it was going to end, even though you were clearly telling the story. And when you walked off stage, I said, do you know the Enneagram? And you were like, yeah. And I said, are you a seven? And you just, you, I don't know if you remember this, but you kind of hung your head like sheepishly and you were like, Yes. <laughs> She said, the way you tell a story and the way you make it so amazing and adventurous and this epic adventure every time, like we could just tell that it just, you were a seven. So you don't, you don't hide it very well. (laughs) No, no. I I have a friend who was like, Hey, what, what's your Enneagram? And I said seven. And he's like, really? I've never met 
like a stable seven. <laughs> I was like, oh, that hurts a little bit. <laughs> so I've tried, I try to tell people I'm a maturing seven. I'm a growing seven. So yeah. there, there's a little bit of stability to me. So that's great. Yeah. When you guys spotted me right off the bat, that was funny. You called it out. Yeah. And I um, think it's, it's one of those things you can't really box people in quite like that. I think being someone like Brock or myself has always been hard because people make so many assumptions about your ability or your skill or your organizational um, abilities. And uh, yeah, it doesn't always hold true. We are diverse, even as sevens. Brock and I are not, you know, photocopies of each other. Oh, for you sure. Know, we're not, we're not exact replicas. We have our own little quirks and kinks. So mm. yeah. Yeah. That's what we oh, love about sure. the Enneagram. It always, it's a starting place to understand what makes you do the things you do, but it's, you can't stereotype, you know, all of the behaviors you both grew up in very different backgrounds, you know, and we all have different gift mixes, but um, it's so fun. So I'm curious, what was your journey of learning about the Enneagram or how you discovered your type? You know, well, it, it became oh, popular. Spitty, it became very popular. Um, Brock and I were already adults, but we worked with a lot of 20 somethings mm. in leadership and they were just, all into that. I mean, they were professional. They could talk and converse around it for hours and just diagnose each other. And, oh, this is what you are. And I see this in you and this whole thing. And so it kind of builds your curiosity. Um, and uh, for me, I am always interested in anything that has to do with, um, you know, making people better, uh, function better in community and with one another and to understand uh, yourself. Uh, so I'm, I'm pro that. So I was super interested, but really the first, um, comprehensive Enneagram I did was, uh, probably about seven years, six, seven years ago when I worked for the national network of youth ministries. And we did that as a team, um, to kind of figure ourselves out. How do we work together, um, most efficiently and to know one another a little bit better. So that was the first time I really had a comprehensive Enneagram done mm -hmm. for myself. Uh, I'm not sure about Brock. When, when did you have yours done? Well, you know, we were, um, we worked at the church that Ian Cron was the pastor at. I don't know if you guys wrote, uh, uh, read his book, The Road Back to mm -hmm. You. Yeah. And so um, now he, he, he was the founding pastor and left before Kelsey and I came in, but we had a relationship with him and always read his books and loved him. And so um, when that book came out, I immediately bought it. So that's probably the first I had ever heard of it was through Ian Cron. Did you guys read his book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Really good. Mm -hmm. His book was the re way I realized I was a four. I had taken some tests before that, that like totally mistyped me. And finally somebody said, read the road back to you. And I did. And I was like, oh, I'm an Enneagram four. It all makes sense now. <laughs> mm. And people thought that I, before I took the test, uh, we had, you know, what Kelsey, we had like 150 volunteers in our youth ministry and they were all basically in their twenties. It was just this huge thing. Yeah. And so they were always diagnosing uh, me before I had taken any tests. And almost across the board, everyone thought I was a three. 
you're, you're you've got to be a three. And there, I think the reason why is because I all uh, I'm a hard worker and I'm driven and I have write books and I speak, but I'm also a pastor. Uh, and uh, but then when I took the test, when it was seven, they were like, oh, yeah, that, that's that makes sense to you. <laughs> so um, but that's when we first uh, found out about it. Um, and that was really fun just sitting with them and having them talk through the Enneagram with us. Yeah, you can definitely it, take a deep dive with us for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think it makes sense like that three and seven would look a lot alike. Sometimes on paper, they're both like in the aggressive stance. They're both future focused. They both are goal driven, um, you know, kind of ready to get people motivated and moving forward. So I mean, they're different in a lot of ways, but I understand why it could be from the outside. Maybe if you don't know your motivation, why you would look like a three. That's some people. Right. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're some of those nerds that can talk about this. Right. Hours, so. <laughs> we'll try not to bore you. No one said a nerd. <laughs> we own the label. It's okay. Yeah. Kelsey, I'm curious. Cause you were like, you know, we're not actually carbon copies of each other. How are you different sevens? Like how do you, how does that play out differently for both of you? Um, yeah, uh, I tend to be, uh, maybe a little bit more conservative. Um, I've found that, uh, for example, Brock is incredibly spontaneous, uh, to the point where he'll walk in the house after a long day and go, Hey, let's go do something. And I look at him and I go, what do you want to do? <laughs> because this is, I'm, I don't function quite that way. I need some, just like a, the bones of a plan. Like I don't, it doesn't need to be planned out. I'm not a hyper planner either. Cause I am a seven. Um, but I just, I need a general understanding of what yeah. it is exactly we're going to do. I don't, I don't want to drive in circles in the car and we've done this. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Where, where do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you feel like? I, I don't really care. I don't have a, you know, and he's like, well, I don't really care. Just tell me where to go. And, I, and we're driving, <laughs> literally driving like around and around and you're going, oh my gosh, somebody please just make a decision here. And um, so I do enjoy kind of the stability of having just a framework or an outline of a plan and what we're going to do. I, my tendency is to be um, a little bit more um, structured that way, I think sometimes, mm. but on the flip side, you know, Brock, uh, and I won't share all of it, but has ha had had to learn at an early age to be very organized for himself as how he functions um, in the world where I just kind of went with the flow like whatever's going on, I just kind of went with it. And so for the beginning of our marriage, I was much more that way. And so he was kind of the director of what we did. And I just was like, woo, I'm along for the ride in the moment, like enjoying all the stuff is so fun. Um, and I think with age and wisdom, I've gotten a little less <laughs> that way. I'm like, I know I need some structure. I need to know what's going on. I can't just mm -hmm. drive in circles. So yeah. I think that that uh, I in fourth grade, I was diagnosed mm -hmm. with a learning disability and it forced me to, in order to like function, to become a very detailed oriented, organized person. And, um, and then uh, just, it, 
and then to become a really hard worker. So a, a, a learning disability, people with learning disabilities will either just kind of be like, I'm done, like, and you just, life just happens to you. And you, for me, I went the other way and became this determined, organized, um, it's just, I had to learn how to learn. And so some structure into my learning, um, I think helped me. So I had this spontaneous kind of seven uh, joyful, you know, partier with uh, details. So it actually helped me as I became a professional youth worker that parents trusted me because yes, I was spontaneous and fun, but there was always a reason why we did everything. And there was details and our ducks were in a row. And that really goes back to this learning disability. Uh, it ended up becoming a gift to me. Yeah. Uh, so for some of us, we take it for granted when things come easily in any realm of life, right? Whether that's learning or something else. But when it comes easily, you don't realize um, what a gift it is for you. And so when someone else has to work for that, um, they have to set the structure up. You know, I actually, uh, one of my kids, he got A's really easily in school and then he went to college and he didn't have any like structure in place to learn. And all of a sudden it was a lot harder and he wasn't doing well. And it was just because he kind of flowed, floated through school, mm. small classes, got done what he needed to do. And then all of a sudden he had to own some of that and he hadn't learned the structure around it. So I can definitely see that as a gift that was given to you to um, teach you the diligence of that. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, it's totally stunk. Oh, you know, cool. I don't think I, I don't think I learned even how to learn until like my sophomore year of college. Mm. Like it was just a struggle. struggle. And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of classrooms aren't set up to help students figure that out. You know, we, no, we kind of teach back to in the eighties and the nineties, you were just sure. a dumb kid. I, suppose, <laughs> I know. Like, I'm so really, sorry. Like, <laughs> well, like, Megan and Kelsey, you're both were teachers, um, and you know what how you're trained to teach is really to a very specific type of student, almost. You know, and so I think we've gotten so much better with that over the years. But um, what what did you teach, Kelsey? Were you? Um, yeah, I was secondary ed biology. Biology. She's okay. really smart. Yeah. So yeah, I started out. She knows what photosynthesis is. <laughs> Hey, you well, can say it. That's I know good. that. <laughs> <laughs> but do you? No, <laughs> kind of. But I taught English, so I'm not going to pretend I know much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And teaching um, for me, I think I was, uh, you know, you get classroom control. Again, my, my wing eight comes in there. I tend to do well up front and to maintain uh, kind of control of the audience, if you will, but, oh man, they could get me laughing so quick and so easy. And I was just like, you guys are the funniest humans on the face of the earth. Like it, you're hilarious. And I would have such a ball and then I'd totally lose control and it would just be chaos. And they're all like, ah, this is so fun, but, um, all right, now let's bring it back down, but, uh, always looking for ways to connect uh, relationally with kids and, um, to, to bring the fun, to have fun. Everything's a party, everything. There's always something to celebrate. And so I kind of brought that into, into the classroom and I love bringing that into ministry as well. We need that because there's people like me that exist in the world. That's Thank like <laughs> everything's a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I call I'm my like, Eeyore. 
And, and my philosophy is like, gosh, that's just so much work. Like, I don't want to make a mess to have fun. You know, <laughs> just, yeah. we just got to clean it up. So oh, I love labs. Labs were, my, were the best. This is, this is why you're good at that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also so, imagine, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I imagine that also helps you in ministry though, Brock, to recognize that there are, there's always those kids in the room that are trying to figure out their place in it. You know, mm-hmm. and if you were had to kind of figure out what label you didn't want to wear in school and everything, like being able to recognize that students just mm. they're trying to figure out how to belong. And you probably do a great job of just pulling everybody into a space where they feel that they're seen and known. I don't know. Is that yeah. a struggle for you? No, uh, no. I I mean, the the kind of the three tasks of adolescence is identity, autonomy and belonging. Mm. And so kids, if any kid who walks into your room or living at your house, whatever, in your classroom, at your church, they are asking a series of questions constantly, whether they know it or not. They probably don't know it. Who am I? Where do I fit? Do I am my choices matter? Where do I belong? And, uh, and so as youth workers, as people who are caring for young people, it's our job to be constantly pointing them to the reality of who they really are, identity, mm-hmm. that they are a child of God, that God is, is he's still fond of them. Uh, autonomy, which is all about power. Do my choices make any difference? Do I have any power at all, any control? And they do, their choices mm-hmm. are significant and belonging. They belong to a group of people who love Jesus and are called to be light in the world. And so we're always answering those three questions of identity, autonomy, and belonging. And I think that my own struggle with landing on those things and not defining myself by my successes or especially my failures, um, but to be grounded in how God sees me has been super significant in my own journey and then in helping kids. Yeah. So good. That's so good. I can brag on him for just a second. And Grace is something that I think Brock understood much earlier on in his development spiritually. And um, it's something because things came a lot easier for me um, and I didn't struggle with things. I was a good girl, you know, all of those things. Um, Grace was something that took a little bit longer to resonate in my heart and mind. Um, It's something I knew about but I needed to experience for myself so I could extend it um, Mm. more readily to others. And Brock extends grace um, so generously um, to people, kids, adults, people we work with um, just universally. And I think that that is born out of uh, those struggles and, you know, really seeing himself in a certain light for many years, uh, because of, uh, those struggles. And I think, uh, he just offers it so generously since I, since I met him, um, he was just a, you know, 20 year old kid, <laughs> 19, actually, wow. See, I, I do that with numbers, 19 year old guy. And just his ability to extend grace was already kind of innately there and has just grown. So yeah, it's been beautiful. And I've learned from that um, a ton. I, I was able to watch and take that in and go, Ooh, I, w- I want to be like that too. Um, and so it's something that I've grown 
into where I think he just intuitively had a lot more grace to start with. So mm. it's really I beautiful. feel good about myself. I'm feeling very, <laughs> very good about myself. So, I mean, we can stay on this train for a little bit, but if, if we yeah. don't mind switching. Um, yeah. So one of the things when we teach about Enneagram sevens is that sevens have this miraculous ability to kind of reframe any negative situation into something positive. Um, but what that tends to lend themselves to then is that sevens don't always have really good mechanisms to deal with difficult things or to face like really hard things. And so Brock, I'm, I've been reading through your brand new book, um, which we can plug and we'll definitely include in the show notes for people, but it's all about anxiety, especially for teens. And you struggled with anxiety and it was actually Kelsey who had to come to you and say, Hey, we need to deal with this. So I'm just, I'm wondering as two sevens, what was that like to approach like a mental health struggle? And what did that look like to kind of have to cope with that and figure out what, what that looks like moving forward and not just try to package it away. Yeah. You know, I, anxiety, uh, kind of burst onto the scene in my own life because I wasn't, uh, familiar this was kind of before people were talking about anxiety. I mean, the closest word we had was stress. Mm. I'm feeling stressed. Uh, anxiety was not a word that, uh, um, I mean, I, I think I may have seen someone once have a conniption fit back in the 80s. They used to say, <laughs> dude, you're having a conniption fit. I didn't, we didn't know, but no one talked about these things. And what actually uh, brought anxiety into my life was pain. Um, I had an extremely uh, difficult uh, couple, extremely difficult church experiences and toxic work environment. And, mm. and all of a sudden I thought, uh, one evening I was having a heart attack when in fact, what was happening is I was, um, having a panic attack and i I actually spent, uh, three different times in the hot, this is how slow I am, uh, a slow learner. I am three different occasions. I was, I rushed my, we took me, we ran to the hospital thinking I was having a heart attack. And after like five hours of tests, no, you, you had a panic attack. You would think after the third, you know, after the first or second time, I would understand this, but no, it took me three times. And um, I think that Kelsey, when I had a panic attack, it scared me so bad that she said, I think you should get some help. And I, you know, some husbands are, and even maybe me uh, uh, would be resistant to counseling or to getting help. Um, I was not at all because it so scared me mm. now before this happened she made me get counseling before the panic attack started she made me get counseling uh because i had become this bitter person because of the the pain so people hurt you and it's easy to just hold on to unforgiveness Mm -hmm. And so I, that's what I did. And I went to this counselor and the counselor said, Brock, who do you need to forgive? Who's not asking you for forgiveness. And in that moment, I said, no, I refuse. In fact, I want them to pay. There's no way I'm forgiving them. <laughs> like they have just wrecked havoc among many people's lives. I want them to pay. And and so what it did is it sent me further into anger and bitterness. And then I had a panic attack and went for more counseling. 
and it rescued me because then I was scared straight. I was like, okay, this unforgiveness, this bitterness is it's scaring me. Like it, it's ruining me. Um, and now my body, my brain is going, yeah, this ain't, we're not putting up with this anymore. And my body reacted with a panic attack. And so um, I got, I got help. And then right after that, all of a sudden we had all these teenagers struggling with anxiety and panic attacks. So then again, this anxiety became a superpower, a, uh, a gift. So now I could empathize with kids who are struggling, but it kind of was birthed out of hurt and then not dealing with the hurt. Mm-hmm. So you say dips, uh, Enneagram sevens. I just went, I'll shake it off. I'll be mm-hmm. fine. Let's just go have Mexican food and get me a margarita. I'll be good. And that didn't solve my problem. (laughs) Avoiding the problem made it worse. And that's probably a tendency of sevens is to you're laying in the emergency room (laughs) and you're like, okay, I have a problem. (laughs) But You have to get to that point. And so, uh, yeah, that's a, that was a a flaw in me that uh, resisted getting help until I was desperate for it. Well, you're probably like all of us in some ways, maybe it took a few more times than other types, but, um, I think our body stores pain in our, you know, I actually just heard something. It wasn't, it wasn't about panic attacks, but it was a counselor who was talking about, um, just the way our brain is wired, but they mentioned panic attacks in it, in the sense that when our body, when things begin to like we kind of get removed from a situation that maybe was toxic or painful. And we start to kind of rewatch, start, start healing because we're kind of removed from it. Then our body goes, Oh, it's safe now to deal with some of this. And our, our, the panic will actually come because a part of our body that's held that pain is trying to get our attention. And it's yes. like, and so it doesn't always happen in panic attacks. Maybe some people get sick. Maybe some people have other, you know, depression or other things, but our body demands that we deal with pain, whether that's physical yes. or emotional. And I think God wired us like that. That's a beautiful thing that he's given us because he doesn't want to, he wants us to be whole. He wants us to be healed, you know, and we just don't always have the coping mechanism in the moment to know how to handle the pain properly then. So he gives us like this opportunity later mm. to come back to it where he's ready to meet us then. And it just sounds like that was the perfect wake up call for you, for the Lord to intervene in that story in a different way. Yeah. Isn't it just so mysterious how the body remembers and how God made us this way. So even though in my mind, I'm choosing to forget or not think on things, the body remembers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that could propel us to healing eventually. And so it's just, it's just a beautiful thing that uh, ignoring problems is not the solution and our bodies won't even let us. Yeah. Right. And I think for both of us, um, we are very good at helping others. We're very Mm. good at planning things for others. We're very good at uh, guiding people toward help um, and giving, dispensing wisdom. But when it comes to ourselves, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not so much. I mean, (laughs) I think, I think that's where the breakdown is, is that uh, because of that mechanism where we, you know, Uh, I can muscle through this or Mm -hmm. um, let's just go have fun and sort of cover it all up and feed that part of ourselves um, that we don't deal with stuff because 
even in Brock's struggle, uh, you have to know there's fallout for me, mm. um, which I did not receive help for a few years after that. And it was this compounded grief uh, that I was uh, forced to deal with through a traumatic thing. So, um, you know, it, it, I think we're not dissimilar in how we handled all of that. Right. Um, I was the caregiver. So I was in this role of making sure everything was okay. Uh, making sure our daughter was okay and everything was still functioning and going. Um, and that's also part of the impetus for me going, you have to get help. Um, but what, of course he didn't know is that I was being crushed under the weight of this as well, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's both of us, but I, you know, I'm just going to ignore all my stuff because I'm going to make sure everyone else is good. You know, we're all good and everything's good and keep up the happy times and happy families. And um, so I, I think that's part of both of us. Uh, we recommend, and we both have and do go to counseling mm-hmm. now in a much more regular way than I think we did prior yeah. um, to, to that part of yeah. our life. Yeah, part of our journey has been, and Kelsey maybe can speak to this, is, uh, you know, we have one kid, and it's not because we just wanted one kid. Mm-hmm. And so you have this traumatic work environment that I bring home, and the stress that leads to anxiety, and then she's coping with that, and I'm trying to work through that. And then we have issues with uh, having children and an adoption that falls through, and there's so much grief. Yeah. And as sevens, well, let's not, let's ignore that. And it, it, it's not helpful. Do you want to speak into that, sweetheart? Oh, well, I, I think it's not uncommon. I, I think it's always so funny how some of these trite things about the seven year itch or, you know, you hit your 40s and all of a sudden you're buying sports cars and you see, you know, you're trying to hold on to your youth those, those kinds of trite things are actually pretty true. I I think (laughs) once we hit our forties, it was like the culmination of all of that stuff. It's like, we just didn't have the, the, whatever it was that we'd had prior we were not more naive. Maybe we just, you know, you just muscled through and got through stuff. It had all kind of built up. And so mm-hmm. you hit your forties and now you're, you're seeing your parents age and you're, <laughs> you're at a point in your career where you're kind of like, all right, what's next? Um, do I have any place to actually even go with this? Um, you're, you start looking at retirement and taking that more seriously. And then on top of that, just the buildup of the stress and the, and life. And I always liken it to water under a bridge you can't get it back it's gone it's under the bridge and you've gone through it whether you want to acknowledge that or not and so of course the our infertility um journey is is definitely part of that and i think um we had an adoption that fell through as well uh we relocated under a stressful condition. There was a lot of things building up for me. And then um, I didn't recognize or pay attention to my grief because that's really what it was. And Brock had anxiety, I had depression. 
you know, and it was um, just grief, depression. It was just a deep sadness um, Mm -hmm. that I was walking into. Um, And then just to kind of, a kind of slap in the face. um, I I had a ectopic pregnancy. I mean, and this is after I'm I'm like in my mid forties and after not being able to get pregnant for years. And then I have this crazy thing happen to me and the doctor Mm. says you're pregnant, but, and I mean, just the whole, I think that was the tipping point for me. That Mm. was the final straw where I just, I broke because Mm. it was so final for me. It's, it's done. Um, this is not a thing for me anymore. It's not that I couldn't have frozen my eggs or whatever, but, um, for me, it was just, uh, it felt like a slap in the face and a massive loss. And I fell into deep grief, um, for all, again, it's just like this this buildup of stuff and never dealing Mm. with what Brock had gone through, um, and how that had affected me, Mm -hmm. uh, personally and, our fertility stuff and then broken relationships and leaving one place to go somewhere else where we had no connectivity, um, no, no family, no friends, no nothing. Um, and so for me that, that culminated in finally going and getting, getting the help that I needed. Um, and you know, as a seven, I, how many years had I been walking through stuff and I had just kind of stuffed it, ignored it. We carry on, we are, you know, we're the fun guys. We're in ministry. Um, don't let them see you sweat. <laughs> just you keep had, going. You had the grief that you had to process. And at some point I it, had it was to. too overwhelming to ignore. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wouldn't, my body, like you said, your brain, your body won't let you move on. I was stuck and I had to go get help. Mm. Okay. I am such a, I'm Brene Brown fan. I don't know if you guys. Mm. Oh, we love, we love her. Yeah. So I had, I knew this was about to happen. I know. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I I shared this on the podcast before. It was so transformational for me. Um, right about the time I was turning 40, a lot of things started Mm. happening in my life too, where just a lot of unraveling of what had gotten me through my teens, twenties, thirties. So I'm listening to this podcast, what a year or so ago, maybe Megan and Brene is talking about the midlife crisis. Cause like you said, like all of a sudden something happens, you're buying the sports cars, you're doing all this, but she's, she basically is like, it is a developmental phase just as much Mm -hmm. as like kids have to do these certain things at different stages, right? Like this is a developmental phase and it's almost like this beautiful way. And I actually could reframe a lot of things for myself um, where I wanted to blame God before I realized, Oh no, this is the way that the Lord pulls us in and goes, everything you've been doing to just survive, (laughs) you know, just to get Mm -hmm. through the loss, to get through the transitions, to get from your young adult self to your adult self and all of the pain that I mean, life is just hard, whether you look at it that way or not. It just, it can be right. Broken relationships, grief, loss, infertility, financial stuff, like all of this. Um, But it's like, he brings us to this place where he's like, I'm going to pull you close. And either we can start undoing the things that don't serve you anymore. Mm -hmm. Or you could just double down on what you've been doing and go into your next phase, really bitter and really broken and disjointed. Right. And so 
of course her spin on that was a little different. I'm adding the God element, but you know, it's like, it's and it taking really... out some of the spicy language. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For our, for our listeners, I'll take out a few of the words, but, <laughs> but I saw that as like, Oh, okay. So there was this, mo- there was this passage in Habakkuk where he was saying, I have stripped like it, the prophet is saying to the people, you know, the Lord has come to pull back, to take away, to strip off. And it sounds like so much loss, but it is because he wants to you to bloom again. He wants you to live again. He wants you, he knows what is not serving you. And I felt like, oh, I could see that. So in my life, like it was this five-year process from well, 39 to like 44, you know, where I was just like, everything was getting stripped away. And I was angry. What, what are you doing, God? I've done all the right things to get this result. And now none of it is true. But what he was saying was, but you've, you've powered through, you've muscled through the pain, the grief, the loss with your own self-protection. And I love you enough to unwind all of that and give you a more true whole story for this next part of your life. I'm so thankful for that. Cause yeah, yeah. It's, you're a seven. I'm a one. It doesn't matter. Like what our Enneagram type is. We all have our coping mechanisms mm. and they're, they serve us for a little while until they don't. And then we can really lean into the grace that he has to give us this transformational story. And man, you guys are so not the stereotypical seven. Yes, you're fun, but you you've lived life and you've let God come and encounter those hard places. And that is really Mm -hmm. a testimony to his grace and to your spirit. So I appreciate both of you being so willing to tell the harder stories that are uh, a little more difficult to share. Thank you. That's our, our, pleasure. We love it. Well, I know um, Megan mentioned your book. We would love for people to get connected. When does it actually drop? I know you've started a launch team. Is it available for purchase yet? It is. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a seven thing? You make a statement and then immediately follow it up with a yay. Yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) It uh, uh, came out officially this past Monday. It was born. Yay. uh, That's awesome. You can get it at uh, on Amazon or at the youth cartel, Uh, the Kindle version. I know will be out next week. Um, And so that's fun. It's called The Anxious Teen, and it really is um, for parents, youth workers, teachers, anyone who cares about the next generation and what is really going on in kids' lives um, as they're carrying worry or fear or addiction or hurt or Mm. uh, obviously anxiety and um, how we can come alongside journey with them and uh, help, help them. And so... Um, I'm really excited about, about this book. And it's really well-written. Like, not that I'm surprised by that, but it has your storytelling that's coming through it. And Mm. so like, I'm reading it going, oh, I want to find out what happens next. It it doesn't read like a a textbook on anxiety. You know, you're telling stories through it. Mm -hmm. And so it's really relatable and I'm enjoying it. And if we had another 15 minutes, I would make you tell the manatee story because it's hands down the best story I've ever heard in my life. But we don't have the time to do that right now, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe another time I can come on and just tell the manatee story. I can tell that story a few different versions. So I can tell the like two minute version. I can tell the 30 minute version. But yeah, that's a fun story to to tell. We'll drop bonus content for our listeners with with that story. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Our pleasure. We loved it. You guys are the best. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We are on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries. Our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. And you can join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash team DGM.
For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me on Instagram at Enneagram Megan. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast at dauntlessgrace.org.